0: Ephesians chapter 10, verse 10, let's go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying all the saints. How many of you believe that you are in a spiritual war? Yeah? Okay. We've been saying and declaring this truth throughout the sermon series that real Christianity is a fight. Real Christianity is a fight. And just... And, you know, just sit on there for a moment because we've been saying this pretty radical thing, spending on whether you grew up in this kind of church or not, that, that the essence of Christi- Christianity is not ultimately about peace and comfort and ease and so on and so forth, but, but that the real Christian life is, is, is as much conflict, is as much warfare, as much battle internally, battle externally in the spiritual realm. Now, if you're somebody that's right now just going through a season of ease, Things are good, you have a job, you're healthy, relationships are good, not major temptations that are a struggle to you. You know, you don't need to have sort of a martyr's complex or be ungrateful for this season, but what Paul's saying is, be careful that you don't become numb. Be careful that you don't fall asleep. Be careful just kinda of ease into this coasting mentality. Because Paul says in verse thirteen, not if the day of evil comes, but when the day of evil comes, be prepared. Now, I've been asking throughout the sermon series, what's your spiritual life look like? Along with times of peace and ease and things are good, are there times of intense battle with sin, with temptation, intense battle externally with circumstances. By the way, you don't have to ask for it. You don't have to invite. It will come. Question is, and we'll talk about this, whether you're dressed for the battle and you're ready. Can I just describe the Christian life for you? We have not been called to avoid difficulty and conflict we have been called to trust Jesus in the midst of it. Do not think there's something wrong with you when conflict and difficulty arise. It is normal, natural. Question is, am I trusting Jesus in the midst of it? Secondly, Christianity is a multi dimensional fight. I want to introduce you to the word, okay? It's verse 12. When Paul says we fight against powers of this dark world, and the Greek word there is kosmokrateros. Say that with me. Kosmokrateros. One more time. Kosmokrateros. And kosmokrateros literally is a Greek word that means ruling powers or gods of this world. Paul was writing to a group of people who believed at the time that there were such things as tree gods or or, or rain gods or fertility gods, and people worshipped these gods thinking that they affected their lives. And in the 21st century, we read that and go... We don't believe in gods, really. Paul is saying that the demonic activity is not red jumpsuit and pitchfork. He says demonic activity is, check this out, demons set up these little tin gods, little fake gods, little gods, under gods, not God, and their aim is to get you to worship it. I don't even believe in the supernatural, man. Let's talk about devils and demons, nonsense. Okay, let me ask you this way. What holds the title to your heart? Who or what holds the deeds to your trust? What do you live for? What do you worship? You ever think about why there are these powerful urges and drives you just can't even, you know what I mean? You just can't explain? You ever wonder why a husband gambles away their entire life savings and gets into $100,000 of debt? And you and I sit there and go, well, he just can't help it because he's addicted to gambling. Think beyond addictions for a moment, will you? Why is it that some of you can't break, seemingly, this addiction to pornography? Why is it some of us can't break this addiction to sex or pleasure? Why is it that we give our entire lives and ruin all relationships so we can make a little bit more money? Addictions, just a weakness? Ah, Paul says, you're naive if you think it's just flesh and blood. He says, it's the activity of Satan and demons to set up these little Cosmo tin gods, to get you to... Worship it, find meaning in it, significance in it. Say, if I don't have this, then my life is not worth living. If I have that, then my life is worth living. If What are these drives about? Well, if you're sitting here going, oh, come on, man. Fiction, supernatural, what, what? When something has the power over you, the sign that that thing really has a power over you is in your denial that you're under its power why well, I, I don't i'm not a little gods ten gods i don't even your, the power that something it's power over you is in your denial that you're under its power well, that's not me i don't struggle with that that's not, Paul says, the moment that you give in, you are no longer, I'm free, independent, under the power of the cosmocrateron. You know what codependency is? You guys know codependent people, codependent relationships? Anybody? By the way, this morning, when I asked that question, a couple, they both raised their hands at the same time. I just thought, wow, okay, that's really, they're very self-aware, I think. But you know, you know what codependency is? Can I describe what codependency is? Listen, you know what codependency is? So there's a guy who's addicted to pleasure, right? If he doesn't have pleasure in his life, he doesn't feel like there's a meaning in his life. So the way he medicates himself is through drinking. The thing is, he's married to a wife whose meaning in life is found by being needed. She needs to be needed. So what's going on? She says, he's my husband. I'm there through thick and thin. No matter what he does, I'm going to be there to support him. I know I could turn him into a good man. You know what that is? I know that I'm somebody. Why? I put up with hell. What is that? Codependency is co-idolatry. You know what it is? It's a massively destructive, massively destructive, massively destructive feedback loop. Codependency is a, listen, massively destructive feedback loop. And codependent people find other codependent people. All it is is one idolatrous thing worshiping another idolatrous thing. Are you so naive? Am I so naive to think just we just struggle with struggles, we just struggle with addictions? Paul says, you're under the power of the Cosmo Crateros. Satan comes, sets up these little tin gods and says, you need sex. You need money. You need significance. You need that job. You need that. Otherwise, your life is meaningless. And the moment that you give in, under the power, Cosmo Crateros. I'm not bothered by Satan. I'm not bothered. Really? He's got you exactly where he wants you, according to Paul. Christianity, real Christianity is a fight with the devil's schemes. What have been saying? Satan is a, do you remember? What is he? He's a, he's a liar. That's what his name means. He's a liar. And we said he says two kinds of lies, temptation and accusation. And it's a one-two punch. He tempts you to accuse you. Satan literally means the accuser. His whole thing is to tempt you so he can accuse you. How many of you hear this voice in your head? God will never forgive you for that. Anybody? Anybody? Hear that one? How uh, about this one? You'll never change. Who do you think you are? You're the exact same person you've always been. Anybody? Anybody? Like two of us? Really? Anybody? Okay. How about this one? How about this one? You're such a hypocrite. What are you even doing in church, man? Your life is a mess. What are you doing here? Big, fat hypocrite. Anybody? Anybody here? Oh, oh, oh. oh, that's a big one for us. Okay. How about, how about this one? I, I, I hear this a lot. How about this one? How about this one? How can a Christian act like that? You call yourself a Christian. Really? Anybody? Oh. Do you think that's just, oh. Do, 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 random. That's <laughs> just random. I just, are you kidding me? Satan plays your strings. He knows. He knows. Okay. So here's what we want to do. We're ending this service here today. So how do we fight this? Paul says you've got to put on the armor of God. So I want to talk to you about Three things. First of all, when to dress for battle? When to dress for battle? Verse 10, 11, 13, and 14. How do you fight this battle? The verbs throughout this passage are in the present form. Present form, meaning it's an ongoing action. Question: When do you get dressed for battle? In the middle of it? In the middle of it? When do you dress for battle? Before the battle starts, and yet this is what you and I look like. Flaming arrows are being shot. And we're like, where'd my shield go? Where, where'd my helmet go? Where'd my sword? Anybody see my helmet? Anybody see my shoes? Where'd it go? <laughs> arrows flying, lies coming. We're going, where'd my shield go? That's us. Can anybody relate? You know what this is like? Let me, let me show you what this is like. Listen. If you're not experiencing some real difficulty and trials right now, things are good, you're not tempted to despair. If you're not facing major persecution or criticism or things like that, you're not tempted to anger and resentment. If there isn't seductive setting at every corner, you're not tempted to lust. So you know what we do? We then spiritually coast. We spiritually coast. Things are good. You know what that means? That means the way we read the Bible, if we read it at all, it's very shallow. That means if we pray, if we pray at all, it's very shallow. Community, if we need community at all, is very shallow. We just spiritually coast. It's easy to go, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. It's easy, and we spiritually close. We spiritually close, and then the arrows start flying, and then the difficulties, the trials, the hardship, the difficulties come. And you and I reach for armor, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work when you just pick up the Bible and go, "I'm in trouble." It doesn't work when you try and go, "Oh God, I want to pray." It doesn't work. Why? Because the fortification of your soul, the anchoring of your soul, the armoring of your soul against the enemy takes time. You don't do it with the snap of a finger. It takes time. through seasons. Is your soul. Right now. When things are okay, being fortified against despair that will come. I guarantee you, something will happen that will tempt you to despair. Are you fortifying your soul right now for seasons of anger and resentment? Are you fortifying your soul right now for sexual seductive temptations that will come? Or is your picture one of things are good, things are really really good? Our prayer life—it's like emergency flares, right? Help! And listen, our heavenly Father—he's so good and so loving that when we go help, He hears us. But it doesn't mean that it's been fortifying your soul to handle the very thing that's making you cry out hell. When do you get dressed? When do you get dressed? When things are calm, when things are okay, when circumstances are. Problem is you and I think totally opposite. That's the problem. That's why what Paul says here. Put on your armor. When? It's calm, it's quiet. But it's coming. How do you dress for battle? Second, how do you dress for battle? Will you, will you take a look at the armor that Paul mentions? And, and, and you, you, you tell me, if you understand how, what Paul means when he says, this is what he means to put on armor. Uh, he says, the, the armor is belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, gospel of peace, shield of faith, and helmet of salvation, and sword of the spirit. What are these things? <laughs> I thought the same thing I have in the morning service. I think I need to ask my question better. Paul is writing to Christians. What are these things? These are things that Christians, what? Already have. So what is Paul saying? This is what he's saying. It's one thing to have them. It's another thing entirely to what? Put them on. Okay, let me put it a different way. Here's what Paul is saying. If you're a Christian... It's one thing to be loved, to be forgiven, to be righteous, to have faith, to be saved. It's another thing entirely to know that you're loved, to know that you're forgiven, to know that you have peace, and to know that you're saved. Paul is saying it's absolutely useless to know that you have the armor and living in utter ignorance you don't know what it means to put it on it's one thing to know that you have these privileges of righteousness and peace and love and acceptance and salvation in Christ it's another thing to appropriate it to guard your heart your soul your life does that make sense to you how many of you are just sitting there going I've got put it on what does it mean to put it on okay That's the entire New Testament, actually. For example, look at what Paul prays for the very same church in Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your being. being." He's praying for Christians, praying for Christians. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Question, if you're a Christian, is Christ dwelling in your heart? Answer, question, do you know it? Have you been electrified? It's one thing to go, Christ is dwelling in my heart. I'm a Christian who lives right here. That's to have the armor. It's another thing to put it on and to go, he lives in my heart and be electrified. He goes on. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Question, how many of you know that God loves you? Are you living your life as if God loves you? saying it's one thing to know in your head that God loves you. It's one thing to have the knowledge of you. It's another thing entirely to have your life, my life, melted by it, electrified by it, changed by a real experience of His love for me. Put it on. Appropriate it. That's what Paul is saying. And put it this way. He's praying for these Christians and he is saying, this is what he means to put on the armor of God. He's saying, what is externally and objectively true of you? You're saved, Your righteousness of Christ, you have peace with God. What is externally objective true of you? Paul says, I want you to take it so deep into your heart that it becomes internally and subjectively true so that your instincts and your reflexes are one in which you act and behave as a loved, cherished, righteous, forgiven, accepted child of God. Uh, Jesus is on a boat after he's performed some miracles and there are massive waves that are crashing against the boat with all the disciples. And we find this somewhat humorous and yet very poignant text. Luke 8, 24. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. And then verse 25, Jesus says, you need more faith. What does he say? What does he say? Where is? The the way that you and I live is, storms, we need more faith. Pray for me. I need more faith. I need to trust God more. Jesus is saying, disciples, you have it. Get it out where is it get it out you have all the faith you need right there get it out get it out you know what he's saying he's saying to them he's saying to us today jesus do you care do you love me where are you anybody say that recently i just said that this morning where are you you love me uh, you know what jesus says jesus comes and says listen listen You know my love for you. You know my care for you. You know these things intellectually. But Peter, they have not become instinctively true. Because you have not dug those truths deep into your heart and soul. Your instincts right now, child of God, is to panic. Your instincts right now is to go, he doesn't love me. Your instincts, my instincts right now are to go, he doesn't care. Jesus says, put the armor on so that your instincts become He loves me. Your instincts become, he cares for me. Your instincts become, I'm safe in his hands. Amen? You guys, right now, a bunch of us, we would have been in church way too long, man. Head knowledge, big, fat, fat head knowledge. You could say backwards and forwards what it means that God loves you. And yet, your instinct, your reflex, your innate, natural way to respond is one of, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. He does. Paul says, put it on. You see the difference? Church, do you see the difference? How many of you are buck naked, totally unprepared for the battle? When you have. All the privileges of the armor right there, and yet not putting it on. Uh, I read about these things once in a while, and I just go, How does this happen to people? And then I think about it spiritually, and I realize I do this all the time. You read once in a while, I'm sorry about someone who's just filthy rich because they received a massive inheritance, heir of a bazillionaire, and yet they had no idea, so they lived in abject poverty and then died in abject poverty. All that person had to do was recognize, I have a bazillion to the bank. It was give, an heir. It, it, was, it, was, it was given to me as an heir. And all that person needed to do was walk into a bank and write a check to withdraw on this massive resources available. And I look at that guy. I go, "There's a perfect picture of me and you. You have peace, love, righteousness, salvation, God, all the armor." We have bazillion in the bank to withdraw from, and yet we live in abject poverty. Why? Because we listen to Satan's lie who says, Satan knows he can't do anything, anything about your account. Listen to me. Satan can't do anything about your account. He can't take anything away from your account. So what does he do? He makes you and I believe. You have no right. You have no ability to draw from the account. So we live in abject poverty. How? Huh? In our heads? Bible says as a Christian, Christian is loved, Christian is forgiven, Christian is righteous righteousness of God, Christian have peace with God, Christian is accepted by God, Christian is actually forgiven. And yet, Paul says, do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Am I the only one that struggles with this? How many of you struggle with this? Do you know why part of the struggle is so hard? It's because some of us are trying to do this on our own. The powerful thing about this entire passage, and I just saved it until the very end, the entire, all the plurals, all the commands in the the plural. Do you know what that means? That's why Paul says in verse 18, and pray in the spirit on occasions for all the saints. Do you know why this is important? Because Paul is saying, you can't do this by yourself. You can't. It's you can't, in essence, fortify yourself. You can't put the armor on by yourself. You not only need to preach the gospel to yourself, you need other people to preach the gospel to you, speak these truths to you. How many of you have people regularly that you're meeting with that's reminding you of your peace with Christ, of your love and unconditional for accept, acceptance? How many of you have people? Are you alone? Are you accountable to nobody? Is your community group, you, got the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit... Do you have anybody that you're accountable to who can, and this is love. Love isn't, you know, cozy and all the time. True love has a bite to it. True love has a bite to it. So you grab that person and you go, why are you not putting on the armor of God? Why are you acting like someone who is not loved, who is not forgiven, who is not accepted? Why are you not putting on the armor of God? Do you have people like that in your life? Do I have people like that in my life? Paul says, you can't do this by yourself. You need. Okay, listen. I, I thought this whole entire week about how do I communicate to you on whether, because you're sitting there going, well, I don't know. I think I know that I'm accepted by God. I think I have the armor on. I think I'm not the picture, perp- Peter, of the guy or the girl who's kind of running looking for something. I think I have the, I think I'm dressed for battle. Here, here, here are some tests on whether you're dressed for battle or not. If you've been dressed for battle, you've put the armor on, these things are true of you. Number one, absolute fearlessness. Absolute fearlessness. Why? If you know of your standing, your condition, your acceptance, your identity in Christ, what do you have to be afraid of? And yet, how many of us today are totally anxious and totally worried about our future, about tomorrow? How many of us are worried? Completely anxious. Why? Why is that? Why is that? Why are we worried? You know what worry and anxiety is? Can I just, you know what worry and anxiety is? It's a form of pride. Do you know why worry and anxiety is a form of pride for a Christian? Because you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, I know exactly how my day ought to go, and I'm just afraid you're not going to get it right. Can I get an amen? That's what worry and anxiety is. You can't control next year any more than you can control, I don't know, your roommate. Your roommate. You can't even control. Your, I gotta control your future, and yet we go. Oh my gosh, next year. Oh my gosh, six months. Oh my gosh, this week. You're literally going, God. I know exactly how my day ought to go, how my life ought to go, and you ain't gonna get it right. It's pride. You. Know, you don't think it's prideful to go, God? Five second life right here. I'm, I'm a vapor. I'm gone in five seconds right here. But I know better than you how my day ought to go. That's not prideful. Is that prideful? Is it also prideful to go, God, I don't know. You created the heavens and the earth, but uh, you follow my agenda. (laughs) You know, you're the guy that said, let there be light, and there was light, and actually I want you to do what I want you to do, when I want you to do it, and how I want you to do it. Is that prideful at all? I'm just saying. Secondly, grace under criticism. Grace under, this is a big one. Big one on if you're dressed or not. If you're drawing from the knowledge of complete forgiveness and acceptance, you have absolutely able to handle criticism. Listen, everybody look up here. Criticism all depends on who is doing it. What do I mean? You walk out of this service and then you walk downstairs and a little five-year-old kid comes up to you and goes, You're a bully. And some of us go, Oh my gosh, I am. I'm a bully. Instead of going, You're a bully. Why do we do that? Why, do we, why are you crushed by a five-year-old telling you who you are? Do you know why? Because you fail to realize that the only eyes in the universe that matter has looked at you and said, you are completely loved and accepted. Do you know why you're crushed by a little five-year-old criticizing you like your boss, like your neighbor, or your coworker? Because you don't realize that the only verdict that really matters to you, the only verdict that will satisfy the hunger of your soul, has already been given by God. And He has said to you, You are complete, you are righteous, you are loved, you are forgiven. You haven't given that verdict, you don't realize it. So a little person comes and says, You're a bully. And you're crushed under that criticism? You're crushed by their criticism. Why? Do you realize the verdict that's been given? Here's another one boldness in prayer. Boldness in prayer. You know what prayer is for a Christian? The person who owns the universe has said to you, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Or I'll give you something better. Can I say that again? The person who owns the universe said, prayer is for a child of God. You can ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Or if I don't give it to you, in my infinite wisdom, I'm going to give you something better. How's your prayer life these days? How's your prayer life? How's my prayer? You know what we pray for? We don't pray for God, I pray for my coworker, Bob. He's really annoying me. And I just can't handle it, God. So can you please, I don't know, just give Bob a kind heart so I could have a good week. Because, Lord, it's really hard. Bob is such a terrible, nasty person. I cracked myself this morning. And cr- I don't know why I cracked some- myself. And God... The creator of the universe who says, ask me for anything. Anything. God, will you be with Bob? (laughs) Some of us go, God, you don't know Bob, but he's just a terrible person that God's like, God's like, I know Bob. (laughs) You guys, what's your prayer life look like? What's your prayer life look like? I'm serious. What are you praying for these days? Are you dressed? Do you have the armor on? Do you know who you are? Wow. And lastly, uh, if you're dressed for battle, ability to handle trials. Ability to handle trials. You could handle trials without feeling like they're punishments if you've been dressed for battle. What do I mean? Do you, Does anybody do this? Um, when things go wrong, do you automatically, like, reflexively go, "I must have done something wrong"? Anybody? Yeah. Do you know what that is? Why do we automatically reflexively go, "I must have done something wrong" when a terrible thing happens, or suffering, or trials come? Do you know why? It's because we're self-righteous. What are you talking about? It's self-righteous. I'll tell you why. Because we're the very same people, when things go really, really well, who do we give the credit to? See, when things go really well, sure, good Christians, oh, glory to God. But deep down, it's going, you're a good person. You give to the poor. You read your Bible today. Oh, you avoided those temptations and sins. We're self-righteous. So when things go well, we give ourselves credit, and vice versa. When things go wrong, we think, what did I do? Now, here, listen. If you're a Christian, when you face trials and hardship, there's sorrow. There's sorrow. Sorrow is inevitable. When there's hard things, you feel sorrow. But here's the thing. When you add on top of the sorrow a sense of guilt and confusion, like, what did I do? I'm being punished. What did I do? It's unbearable. Here's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. A Christian isn't somebody who will never experience hardships. You're going to face it. A Christian isn't somebody who's going to experience sorrow. You're going to experience sorrow. You have emotions. You're a human being for crying out loud. But a Christian doesn't get overwhelmed by the guilt and confusion. If you're a non-Christian, you're sitting there going, what did I do? What did I do wrong? I must have. That's why we believe in karma. What the heck is karma? Do you really believe in karma? Like you're going to get what you deserve? Good Lord. If that was me, I wouldn't get out of bed. Is anybody what I'm talking about? If I really believed in karma, that I get back what I give, I would not get out of bed. Are you serious? I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. So here's what a non-Christian says. I'm being punished for, well, the problem is, okay, if you're being punished for what you've done wrong, how do you know what is it you've done wrong? I mean, take your pick, right? Maybe you're being punished because you kicked that dog the other week. <laughs> Maybe you're being punished because you stole the paperclip clip from work. Maybe being punished because you have lustful thoughts. Maybe being punished because you're greedy. You're punished. There's a bazillion, and you're sitting there going, "It'll drive you absolutely bonkers and despair." But if you're a Christian, you don't sit there and go, "I'm being punished because I've done wrong." Why? Because guess what the Bible says? Jesus Christ died to take all our punishment. Is that good news? This isn't just, oh, Peter, that's interesting psychologically on Sundays. That is when you face hardship, and when you're sorrowful, you don't automatically, reflexively go, what did I do wrong? Because what you did wrong was taken by cost on the cross and paid for the payment. And God says, there's no second payment coming. You're forgiven. Is that good news? Let me ask you again, is that good news? Oh, you guys, the sorrow will come if you're self-righteous, And you think you're good, so you get good things. You're bad, you get bad things. It will devastate you. But if you're a Christian, my punishment was taken by God. There's trials and hardships because we live in a fallen world that's going to be redeemed by King Jesus. But ultimately, I'm not going to let this crush me. Why? He took my punishment. That's what he did. He took all my punishment. Lastly the Holy Spirit's role in the battle. And this is my favorite part of this entire passage. You know that? Because how many of you sat throughout the sermon series and you go, Peter, it just, it's hard, it's hard. Anybody? Anybody? It's hard. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. Do you know what? That's the beauty of the Bible. That's the beauty of the good news. Because look what Paul says. When he says, take the sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit, verses 17 and 18. What is he trying to get to? Let me just play this. Let me just say it this way. You got gazillions in the bank. You have all these privileges, all these amazing blessings of, 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 of being a, a Christian. And yet, because of Satan's lies, it says, you're not worthy. You're such a sinner. God can't forgive you. You fail to draw upon this wonderful blessing that you have. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit comes and says, I know you have a hard time drawing upon it. So you know what? Come. come I'm going to help you draw. I'm going to help you draw. Yeah, I'm going to go right with you. By the way, I live inside. I'm gonna, come on, come on, right I have, a hard time, I have a hard time believing that I'm loved. I know. Come on. I'm going to help you. Pull we'll you from that. I have a hard time believing that I'm saved, Peter, and that I'm internally secure. I know. Come on. To... That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Is that good news? Amen. Because if it was just up to, left up to you and me, <laughs> and yet the Holy Spirit says what you could only engage at an intellectual level, even though you've been a Christian for 20 years, The Holy Spirit says, I take those truths, and I make you that gigantic gap a foot away from there to here. And he takes these truths. He makes it come alive. Can you tell me how that works? I can't. It's mysterious. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, but I'm good with that. Holy Spirit comes and says, you know what it is? You know what it is? You know what it is? Check this out. The Holy Spirit is a consuming fire, the Bible says. And when we give him firewood, which I'm going to talk about, firewood is, is the word of God, scripture, the Holy Spirit comes and says, he blows, blows on the wood. The, 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 is it the embers? The embers? He blows it and he, he enables the, the fire and the truth to go deeper and deeper. Um. what truth you say uh, deeper and deeper and deeper um, the Bible says oh yeah this is you say hi you hi. or actually behind me say this, this is you this is, uh, Nate will you help, uh, help me out the, the Bible says this is you this is you. Now, here's what the Bible says was true of you. Okay? The Bible says, what? Next, next passage, please. Check this out. The Bible says, as for you, you were dead, what? Say it with me. You were dead, what? In. Does anybody know what this felt like, by the way? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were dead in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. The Bible says, this is going to shock and offend some of you. The Bible says you were enslaved not just to sin, but to the rulers, the powers, and the demonic cosmocrateros. You were far from God, enemies of God, distant from God, absolutely no hope. No hope for salvation, no hope for love, no hope for redemption, nothing. And there's nothing that you can do because you were sealed. This is you. This is me. We didn't just... Sin because we're, we, we, we weren't sinners just because we sinned. We sinned because we're sinners by nature, enemy of God. Do you know what happened to you when you became a Christian? Check this out. Next passage, please. For he, that is Christ, then rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is you and me before Christ. Then is it. What does Christ do? The Bible says 2 Corinthians, uh, verse 21, He who knew no sin, no sin about Him, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The perfect Son of God dies and rises again and ultimately does the act of delivering us from a life of sin. Is this good news? Because check this out. Verse, next passage, please, Romans. He takes us out of sin. And Paul says, So count yourself dead to sin. You're no longer in sin, partisan, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus. When I constantly, until I'm blue in the face, say, When God sees you, He sees you as His Son Jesus. Do you see why? Do you see why? When I say when God sees you, he doesn't see you, the sinner, the condemned, the accused, the tempted. He sees you as perfectly righteous, saved, peace with God, loved, forgiven, all the privileges, all the blessings. That's why Paul can even say things like right now you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is the word. This is who you are. This is your position in Christ. Is that good news? Now listen, listen. This whole sermon is going to go, what does it mean to put on the armor of God? I have a hard time keeping track, you know, of righteousness and, and sword of the Spirit. Do you know what Paul says? Ah! Romans 13, verse 4. Put on what? The Lord. Do you know what it means to put on the armor of God? It means to be suited with the armor that is Christ Jesus. Is this good news? This isn't real to you. This isn't real to you. When you go, how am I? The Bible says you have been put on by Lord Jesus Christ. That means the righteousness of Christ is you. The salvation of Christ is you. Face the Christ, peace with Christ. Oh, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth. Here. Is that good news? It gets even better. It gets even better. Seriously, Peter? Seriously. Because not only are you in Christ, you all know about this if you go up in church. Christ is also where? To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ, in you, the hope of glory. So not only are you in Christ, Christ comes live in you to enable you to do that no one else can do, to empower you to live the Christian life. And then you in Christ. And the Bible says... All of this in Ephesians 3, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Is this good news? It gets even better. Because, look what the next verse says. Next one, please. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Where? Good Lord, people. Now, let me ask you a very, very dumb question Are you secure? Let me ask you a really stupid question. If Satan tries to come at you, he has to get through first who? God the Father. Good luck with that, Satan. Then if he gets through God the Father, he has to get through who? God the Son Christ. Good luck with that. We all know how that played out 2,000 years ago. Are you secure? Good Lord, people. Are you alive? You are secure. Christ in you, you in Christ, you and Christ in God. And there's nothing that this could ever change. Is this good news? Let me end with this. Do you know what all this means? Do you know what do you know what is true about you? Listen to what it says. I'm going to go really, really fast. That means that you've been set free from sin. Cl- by the way, if any of these are like powerful truth that you need to hear today, by all means, either clap or say amen or ho-ho or something. By Christ Jesus you have been set free from sin and condemnation. You've been set free from Satan's kingdom. You have been set free from uh, forgiving of all my sins. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been adopted into God's family. You've been justified freely by His grace. You've given all these things for godliness. You've been given authority over the power of the enemy. You've been given access to God. Not only that, but you are. This is who you are. I am free forever from condemnation, loved eternally, not condemned, one with the Lord, quickened by His mighty power, seated in the heavenly places, hidden with Christ in God, so uh, secure in Christ. I am more than a conqueror. And you have access to the Father, an anchor to your soul, a hope that is sure and steadfast, power to witness, the mind of Christ, peace with God. And you can do all things through Christ, find mercy and grace in times of need, come boldly to the throne of grace, defeat and overcome the enemy. And you cannot, you cannot, almost done, almost done, be be separated from God's love, be lost or perished, be moved, be taken out of my Father's hand, be charged or accused, or be condemned. This is who. You've got the armor. Put it on. Put it on. Let me end with this. Daddy, come on up. Because we're taking communion today. Listen, I rarely share sports stories and analogies because I'm one of those big believers. that everybody could relate to sports. But let me just share one today. I love watching games that I've recorded. Football games especially. My favorite teams, and here's the thing, guys, don't judge me. Don't judge me. My favorite team is the New England Patriots. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't ask me why. I told you not to judge me. Y'all judge me now. <laughs> Come on, man. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Anyway. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm secure. I'm, I'm, I'm secure. I I'm I'm, Here's what I do. Here's what I do. I record the games, right? Ask my wife. And then I find out what the score is. And if they lost, I just erase it. I don't watch it. I just race it. But if they won, I got my popcorn, you know. And I sit there, and I'm watching the game, you know, in slow motion, return out. I'm just enjoying the game, right? So first quarter, Brady throws an interception. My friends are like, oh, my gosh, you threw an interception. Chill out. It's all right. I know how this deal ends. <laughs> interception. We can react two, three times. A fumble in the second quarter. Oh my. I know how this deal ends. I know it wins. Chill out. Halftime. They're behind by 15 points. Oh my God. Don't worry about it. Chill out. I know this deal. Two minutes to go. They're down by three. And they're at the 20-yard line. I know how this ends. You and I. We'll have battles. We're going to give in to temptations. We're going to give in to accusations. You're going to lose your share of little skirmishes with Satan. But you know what the powerful thing is? We know how this deal ends. Amen? We know how this deal ends. You're not in confusion about how this ends. We know the outcome. He has been bound. He's going to be thrown into hell forever. That's Satan. So, when you drop the ball, throw an interception. Say things you didn't say. Do the things that you do. And you hear the accuser going, you're so pathetic. You can say to him in your own way, I know how the game ends, dude. I know where you're going to wind up, and I know where I'm going to wind up. So I can relax. I can relax. Is that good news? God, it is perfectly appropriate to shout and to clap in the presence of greatness. And this morning, God, we stand in the presence of greatness. What an amazing God you are! What an amazing, awe inspiring, magnificent, glorious truth to behold. Christ in me, me in Christ. Christ and me in God God help us to just appropriate that truth every day this week every day this week every day thank you that you won the victory for us and that we don't fight for victory but we fight from thank you that there's nothing that the enemy can do to snatch us out of your hands for we are secure we are sure we are confident and we are bold god in knowing who we are and who you are in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and all god's people said amen have a great week you guys we'll see you back here next week